This is the Sport Lifestyle Network podcast, where relationships matter. Conversations between thought leaders from sports, fitness, and tech. The SLN podcast starts now. This episode of the Sport Lifestyle Podcast is presented by Empirica. That's Empirica, E-M-P-I-R-I-K-A. Empirica exists to amplify your brand's growth. A digital partner to the ambitious, the creative engine launching brands and igniting growth. The unagency where relationships matter, not transactions. Let's connect at EmpiricaMedia.com. That's EmpiricaMedia.com. Let's get the show started. So I remember telling my dad the day that I was, you know, essentially gave notice to my CPA firm that I was leaving. And I was trying to explain to him that I was leaving to, you know, essentially start a company that was a cycling company that used stationary bikes and instructors was up in front of class and you played music and everybody rode to the music and it's a great workout. And and my dad kind of scratched his head and 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 I think truly questioned my sanity as to why I would leave a great job at my firm to start a company riding indoor bikes and, and just didn't get it. That's John Bodwin, recalling how he told his dad in 1994 that he was quitting his day job as a CPA to co-found Mad Dog Athletics, a fitness startup who ended up inventing an entire category, indoor spinning. 25 years later, John and his team not only defined the category, but they ended up scaling to over 35,000 facilities, they have a presence in over 80 countries, and they've gone on to certify more than 300,000 instructors globally. John spoke about early struggles building the initial prototypes, he discussed the community behind the brand, and how spinning sets itself apart from other fitness brands today. John also spoke about the importance of a brand and why spinning which they trademarked in the early 90s, is worth fighting for. For more stories like this, be sure to subscribe to our shows and newsletter at thesportlifestylenetwork.com. Let's get to John's interview. Hi, John. How's it going today? Uh, going great, John. Thanks for having me uh, on your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, for joining us. You guys have been in the news for a lot of reasons, and you're you're probably hit up by a lot of people for, for interview requests. So so definitely appreciate you taking the time and uh, would love to just kind of hop right in because, you know, if there were a, a spinning OG or a spinning grandfather, I, I think it's Mad Dog Athletics. So mo- most people probably don't know Mad Dog Athletics, but they certainly know the name Spinning. Um, you, you are one of the the co-founders of the company with, you know, basically getting a lot of credit for having created the indoor cycling category in the early 90s. I think 91 is what I read. But I'd, I'd kind of love to start there, John, on, you know, the origin story a little bit and maybe talk to our listeners about, you know, your passion for the sport and, and how you guys brought it to light. Yeah, sure. I'd love, love to talk about it. Um, yeah, we, we started in the early 90s. I, I had met a, a I'd call him a crazy South African uh, uh, named Johnny G. And Johnny was a professional cyclist coming off of, uh, I think, completing the race across America in 1989 and uh, training again for the race across America. And Johnny had come up with with the concept of spinning. And it was really based on his need to train you know, an incredible number of hours each and every day. So if, if you've ever met an ultra endurance cyclist, it's similar to an ultra endurance runner. It's something that requires, you know, multiple hours every single day of training. And 
and even to some extent uh, training for 24 hours because those are the types of conditions that you end up actually experiencing during the race. And so uh, Johnny had really tried to figure out how to uh, not only combine training uh, that was very specific to cycling, but training that um, could also allow him to, to make a living. At the time, Johnny was a personal trainer and so he would train his clients on a bike. And, and, um, and at the time, there really, you know, we call it indoor cycling today, but there really wasn't any indoor cycling. It was really uh, what I used to train on when I was in college, uh, rollers, or uh, if you remember the old turbo trainers, it, it wasn't particularly uh, great feeling. It, it was certainly training, but it wasn't really in, in our minds a way, if you wanted to train for cycling, that was really you know, an amazing experience. And so when I met Johnny, we um, you know, immediately fell in love with, um, I fell in love with the whole concept of, of finding a better way to train indoors. And being an avid cyclist myself, and, and at the time I was working uh, as a CPA, I started out as a CPA, I had finished grad school and, and really hadn't been training as much as I'd like to, primarily because of my work schedule. And so to find a way to train indoors uh, for me was was amazing and and really approaching it more from a cycling perspective um, was something that really excited me so early on we um, uh, there really wasn't any kind of indoor cycling bike that would allow you to do the types of movements that you do outside on a road uh, so when you when you ride a bike today an indoor cycling bike what you'll notice is it has a geometry to it that allows you to do both standing and sitting movements. It lets you transition between seated and standing movements, much like you would if you were uh, getting close to the finish line and that last sprint you see cyclists do that last hundred meters. Um, those are the types of things that you could do on the bike. And by adding a, a, a inertia to the flywheel, we were able to really create a feeling around the bike that made it feel like you were moving and feel like you were riding a bike outdoors. And so that was really early on. I think, you know, so much of what motivated us was this cycling specific workout that we felt um, just had amazing applications to all those people all over the country that uh, much like today, you know, are buried under snow and can't get out and ride on the road we wanted to create a way that um, everybody could could train in a very cycling specific way, 365 days a year, no matter where you lived, and and um, and that that was really kind of what started it. Well, that, that's great, and I I kind of want to double click on that, John, and and ask you kind of, it's so interesting what you just said around you were a trained CPA, had no idea about that by the way, and uh, you kind of had this challenge of fitting cycling into your work schedule, it sounds like. And and that was part of the impetus for you to go on this journey with Johnny as a, as a co-founder. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. It's that's, that's really interesting because today, obviously we're, we're in a global pandemic or at the, hopefully the tail end of that pandemic. And um, now we're at our desks and homes more than ever. And, and arguably they're, uh, ha has been more content fed in our face from all the players in the space and even, you know, somebody as big as Apple who, who just got into the fitness world. But um, J John, I'd, I'd love to kind of, before we, we kind of get to present day, I'd love to hear 
maybe a little bit more background um, ab- about the initial prototype. And you know, as a as a founder myself, and and you know, been around a lot of businesses, I I think those stories are just so interesting from just basic challenges you you hear about. Um, can you give us you know some funny stories or one thing or two things that stood out in the early days from developing your your first bike prototype? <laughs> uh, you, you there there probably aren't enough hours in the day to go through through the the funny stories and the the, the you know the, the things that happen along the ways you know when you run a, a company this long you 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 yeah you have plenty of those but uh, yeah we we started out and and really the challenge was to try to build a bike that would allow you to do these group classes that was sturdy that when you stood up on it you could train. Um, Without, you know, if you'd ever ridden on rollers, it was just a little tenuous. It was hard to to really stay focused where you really couldn't always focus on your breathing or your movement or your pedal stroke because you were a lot of times just trying to, you know, avoid falling off the rollers. And so what what this the bike really allowed us to do is is really train where you could really just get into a zone where you could close your eyes. And and so that's really what informed the design of the bike was we wanted a bike that was very cycling specific. So if you look at the head and seat tube angles of the original bike, and even the bikes that we produce today, they are identical to the geometry of a road bike. And then we created the adjustability in a way that it didn't matter whether you were an outdoor cyclist that you know used a frame that was 52 uh, centimeters or 53 or 54 or 56, that you could adjust the bike in a way that you could get the perfect geometry, um, no matter what your height height was, and 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 it matters, you know. So if you're a cyclist, um, anybody will tell you that getting the right fit on a bike is super important to your training, to your power, and how well you even do in racing. And and that's why so much time and attention is spent uh, with, you know with really a more elite cyclist trying to get the fit right. And so that's really what we were trying to accomplish. And so the initial bike that we built, it was funny. We, we found a um, metal fabric fabricator here in Los Angeles, a, a company called Steve's Plating. And we took some tubes and we cut them up and welded them up and got it, built a bike with the same geometry as a regular bicycle. And it, they were all pretty much built by hand. Um, initially, the first bikes that we put into our the first studio um, were all just bikes we built by hand, and and um, I, I could say they they really aren't. You know, if you look at some of the early bikes uh, today, you'd look at them and say, "Boy, it looks like you need a tetanus shot to actually ride that." So they they weren't particularly um, corrosion resistant. They they didn't have some of the modern features that you see today, but the bike itself is very similar to what you see today. The geometry is very similar. Like I said, the, the, the fit and function and and how it feels is very similar to uh, what we created back then. So, so we built the first bikes, we put them into a studio. Um, We were building bikes in the garage. And um, I I think the beginning of the end of my days as a CPA, we were up on the 23rd floor of a, a office building and we were buying the parts to build these bikes. So we would buy sprockets and chains and pedals. And uh, and one day I mistakenly had put my address at my firm on the order to order some of these parts. And, and I went out to lunch and I came back. And sure enough, there were two giant pallets weighing probably two tons with 
bike parts on them. And I had to try to explain to my partners why there were two tons of bike parts in the, in the, the file room. Um, but we, we, it truly was one of those things where we get home at night, take off my suit, go out to the garage, uh, build some bikes, go to bed, get up, do the same thing over again. We would have bike building parties on the weekends, literally where we had barbecues and friends would come over and help us assemble bikes. And so it was really, um, I would say, um, uh, a labor of love for us and, um, something that, uh, yeah, we took great pride in, but probably weren't as great <laughs> at actually building bikes as we were passionate about building bikes. So, uh, um, you know, the early days, like I said, we we just built the one model of bike. I think in the history of our company, we built um, roughly 200 bikes that went to various studios, um, you know, initially uh, Crunch in New York and, uh, and a few other studios. And, and that was really how we got our start. It was with this very... Uh, basic bike we were building at Steve's plating, uh, at least the frames and then assembling them in our garage. Oh, that, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> that's a great story. So I got to ask, what, did the, did the partners at the CPA firm, uh, fire you or what did they say about the, the two tons? No, they, they, they no, I, I didn't get fired, but, but they, they certainly, it, it begged the question, you know, like, what are you doing in your free time? Because as a CPA, uh, you know, particularly during tax season, there's not a lot of free time. So it, it was one of those things. And I think, you know, probably similar to the reaction that my, my father, who uh, started out early on as a CPA, and he was one of the ones that convinced me that, you know, going through and getting my, uh, my CPA certificate was a great thing to do just generally in business, he said, you know, look, whether you want to be ultimately a CPA or not, it's, it's just one of those skills that, that really, you know, is, is great. So I, I remember telling him that I was leaving my CPA firm to do this, um, this start this company. And at the time, when, you know, when you talk about the brand, which we really hadn't spoken much about, but spinning was an, a name that we just coined. It wasn't, there was no you know, back then, if you think about a new exercise, there was really no name for it and there was no brand around it. It was something that we coined the, the, the name spinning and said, this is going to be our brand. And so I remember telling my dad the day that I was, you know, essentially gave notice to my CPA firm that I was leaving. And I was trying to explain to him that I was leaving to, you know, essentially start a company that was a cycling company that used stationary bikes and instructor was up in front of class and you played music and everybody rode to the music and it's a great workout. And and my dad kind of scratched his head and, and, and I think truly questioned my sanity as to why I would leave a great job at my firm to start a company riding indoor bikes and, and just didn't get it. So that was the newness of it. You know, it's hard now to see so much indoor cycling and say, well, yeah, this has been something that's been around for such a long time. But when you started, we started the company, there, there was no indoor cycling. Um, in fact, at, at the majority of gyms, if there was any sort of cardiovascular group fitness, it was step aerobics or aerobics. There really wasn't any other um, kind of Group X programs, you know, particularly there, there was nothing on the indoor cycling side. So this is an entirely new category that we created. And, and again, kind of more from the cycling thing into a fitness thing, but uh, all based off of this, this bike that was very cycling specific. Oh, that's amazing. And two, qu- two quick follow-ups there. If first, first, if uh, 
you know, your dad didn't think it was crazy, it probably wouldn't be a worthwhile idea and you wouldn't be in the, the global position you guys are in today. So <laughs> good on you for following your intuition. But the, 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 uh, uh, the, the second piece of that, I, I did kind of want to go into, um, in, into today a little bit and, you know, just hearing the story, uh, John, it's, it's clear how and why you guys have the authentic positioning that you do in spin. Um, and, and I, you know, would just love to kind of read a couple things I, I saw online and, and through a couple of other, um, publications, it sounds like, you know, roughly 25 year, over 25 years in business. Um, you've trained and I think certified if, if I have this correct, over 300,000 instructors, uh, in spinning, uh, over 30,000 facilities, tens of millions of, of, of users, uh, 80, I think it was 80 countries, 70 countries, something like that. Um, it's really quite remarkable. Um, I, and so what I really, you'd be the perfect person to ask this question, you know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, community within fitness. And it seems like within fitness community has, uh, a differentiator. It, it, there's something special about that. So of anybody you would, you would know given, you know, how many instructors and classes you guys have, have been through. So any thoughts just generally on community and how does maybe technology play into that as well? Well, when we first started, I think one of the things that drove us was that we, here we had created this bike and created this program and because no one really knew how to do it, there was really no, you know, we, we really saw the need to come up with a training program that we could push out into the world because, bikes were so tied to it. There really wasn't, you know, we could dump a bike on somebody and then they'd look at it and just say, well, okay, what, what do you do on this thing? So we really early on said, well, you know, we're going to have to create some sort of training program. And, um, and so that was really the, the start of connecting the, the call it the, the software to the hardware. And the other thing was back then there really was, and I know <laughs> there's so many, uh, to, to say this, particularly to, you know, people today that are riding indoor cycling bikes, there, there really wasn't, you know, the internet existed, but it wasn't really something you used to get your brand out there to connect with people in any incredibly meaningful way. So we, when we first launched, we would go hop on a plane and we would, you know, Johnny was from South Africa in 1993, we launched, uh, it was right after apartheid ended, we went down to South Africa and launched spinning in South Africa. And we met a lot of the instructors from some of the gyms and and started to build a team. And, and the amazing thing, at least for me, was, was as we traveled around the world and just met these incredible fitness professionals all over the world. Um, and, and, you know, everywhere from, we did big rides in, in Taiwan and all over Europe and all over South America and Brazil. And it was really pretty remarkable to me that, that, you know, when I really stood back and looked at it, it didn't matter whether I was in, I remember we did a big ride in this uh, square in, in the middle of um, Taipei. And I didn't understand a thing that those instructors up there that were teaching, uh, I don't speak Mandarin, so I, I didn't know what they were saying. But I looked around and I said, you know, these are the same smiles and the same expression that I see on the faces of people that I've ridden with in Brazil and that I've ridden with in the Netherlands and in Germany and Italy and, and started to really understand that, that, you know, fitness was something that was more than 
it meant so, so much to so many different people in so many different ways. And, and it, but in some ways it united people and it united people around this experience. And I think that that probably, and when you think of community, you know, I think of the camaraderie, the things that I certainly loved about class. You know, I taught early on uh, just a couple classes a week, but I love the people that came into class and, and got to know them. And some of the stories that, that, you know, are my favorite from, you know, from indoor cycling, from our program and seeing how it rolled out around the world were people that just wrote me notes saying, you know, spinning has been such an important part of my life. And I was diagnosed with cancer. You know, they would tell stories and, and say, you know, it was my spinning class that did a fundraiser for me and picked my kids up at school and cooked for me. And, and they became my community. And, you know, we saw this on, on these, this kind of micro level at every studio and gym. And, and really, I think today, when you look at it, you know, clearly there are ways that we can all connect in a digital world, but that was really what started our company was, was that, that sense of camaraderie. It was riding with a, with a, a group of people and it didn't matter. You know, we all started and finished at the same time. And I think, you know, that was what was really, I think, very special about the program. It didn't matter that you were young or old or coordinated or not, or in shape or not. We all started and finished at the same time. And, and I think that's one of the things that really has, has created this incredible, you know, community around the spinning program is that it doesn't, you know, people ask me, well, how's, how is it that this program has lasted so long? And, it really comes down to it's not gender specific. So, you know, you really can't say, well, this is something that's more male oriented or female oriented. You can't really say that it's, um, you know, something that that young people can't do or old people can't do because it's a very limited range of motion. You don't have to be incredibly flexible. You don't have to be incredibly coordinated. Um, so, very frequently, I, you know, I go to classes and I see a, a father riding with his son or a mother with with their daughter or you know partners riding together and and the nice thing is everybody starts and finishes at the same time so the beauty was just that there were no limits to the different the diversity of the people that could go to class and feel like they were just riding in the pack and and no one was being left behind and and I think that that's really what created that sense of community was just that it wasn't like you were out run, running a race where you know the leader was a mile ahead and the person in last place was two miles behind. It, it just we all started and finished in the same place and didn't matter why you were there. You know, if you were there to relieve stress or just to get out of the house or to be social or to train or lose weight. It, it didn't really matter. It was just really about that feeling of riding in a group that you know kept you motivated to just give it your all. And and it and again it didn't matter how much effort that was it just was something that helped motivate you through that forty five minute class. Oh, that's that's great, John. I I think of uh, well, I interviewed Bruce, a friend of mine, Bruce uh, Smith from Hydro, the founder of Hydro, and he had a similar comment around fitness and community, and the way he described it was, uh, you know, you, you if you sweat, there's something about earning that sweat together, and, and I think. 
um, to, to your point, regardless of why you're showing up uh, or where you finish or start, there, there's something about that community aspect of sweating together, working, working out together and, and achieving goals together, which, which is great. Um, and, and so naturally, uh, John, my next question as a follow-up to that is in some ways, what you just said, uh, technology could be somewhat of an enemy to that experience in, in person. And obviously we're living in a pandemic and, you know, with your commercial business, I'm sure there were some challenges and you had to shift and pivot like everyone else. So what is maybe one or two takeaways or a learning or a surprise that happened for you with how technology helped the company and how you guys benefited from that? Yeah. So we, we've launched, uh, we, we had, we, we've launched a, a platform called spinning digital plus and, and it's, um, content that we've created uh, essentially mirrored from our experience in the studio. So the beauty of, you know, having really trained these instructors around the world and really train the trainers. So, we're, you know, we're, we're out there, we have a team of about 165 master instructors around the world, and they are our experts. Some of them have worked with us for 20 plus years that um, are really amazing educators. And so we've trained, uh, you know, you had mentioned these these instructors around the world, 300,000 instructors, and really had a, a literal front row seat to not only these huge events taking place all over the world where we bring five or 600 bikes in and do almost a concert type experience. Um, but what we're seeing now is really, you know, certainly COVID, I think, accelerated the, uh, you know, the learning curve. And I, I think the adoption of things like streaming um, you know, I can say my, my mom, she wouldn't want me to say, but she's over 80 and, uh, you know, they living in Arizona and I of course worry about her and I say, you know, mom, is everything okay? And, you know, you get enough groceries and my brother and sister live nearby, so she's fine. But she says, no, you know, I'm, I'm, I just order my groceries online. And, and I think back, you know, gosh, a year ago, I was having challenges trying to get her to FaceTime so she could chat with the kids. And and now all of this technology, I think, has has um, or at least COVID has really, I think, you know, created this this need for most people. If the learning curve was typically, you know, five years or perhaps never for certain people, it created a need to really understand how a little bit how technology worked and how streaming could potentially work. And so it's really great. I mean, I think that again, what I mentioned before about you know, having the ability to take content and, and again, a program that we love and we've created and push it out to people. And, and a lot of those people, you know, I, I could, you know, tell you a funny story. I, you know, I've been friends with, with certainly so many people in the fitness industry for so long and so many of the CEOs that run some of the big gyms. And, you know, and one of the things that that's always tough is, is, well, and if you remember, like, for instance, when curves really came onto the scene and, and there was a real concern with a lot of club owners saying, well, I, I don't, I don't get how, how they're growing so quickly. And, and what it was is there, there, there's a lot of times a, an intimidation factor to um, going into a gym, even though I've been around the fitness market forever, we have gold's gym, not too far down the street from where our corporate offices are. And, you know, going in there where you have so many of these massive bodybuilders and here I'm a cyclist and, you know, I, I, I'd be embarrassed to tell you what I could bench press if, if I did. 
but you know it it there's an intimidation factor where I would feel intimidated even though I knew a lot of the guys that were there and and you know they were great and warm and welcoming it just was a little intimidating and I think that there's a, a a lot of people that may feel a little intimidated whether it's just you know whether it's founded in in reality or just you know hey I'm a little bit you know it's kind of like um you know I've heard before people say well I've got to lose some weight before I I start going to the gym and I'm thinking god what's wrong with that because really that's what the gym potentially can be there for for you to go in and find an exercise program and so you know I think that anything that will give people the opportunity to get interested in 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 a in, in anything whether it's boxing or cycling or rowing or anything else I think creating that entry point where the on-ramp is just much easier is is a great thing and and that was really um you know again something that we learned early on when we created the first e-spinner i mean that was what that bike was about we we were i was concerned that there were a lot of people that weren't taking spinning classes because of you know looking into that room and seeing you know a dark room and people pedaling and sweating and everybody's in cycling gear and there there again it was a little bit of one of those uh, you know do i really want to do that and by putting a bike the identical bike out on the gym floor with a screen on it it really became much more approachable where someone could could hop on that bike for the first time ride it you know get familiar with it and then after three or four rides on that bike feel comfortable walking into a spinning class so you know to answer your question i think that you know, we're, we're really just at the very start of, of a, you know, an era where we're going to continue to find new ways to, to train at home. And I think that that'll be a combination of content, um, feedback. So some of the sensors uh, that we discussed that are available today, it, it really isn't a stretch to think that, well, you know, I can train at home and have a coach that's telling me what I should and shouldn't be doing. And that can be monitored real time. And, um, you know, so there, there really are a lot of things that are opening up. And I, and I don't think that, uh, you know, I, I mentioned before our interview, I, I was on the board of a medical company for a number of years. And, and, you know, one of the big topics today is telemedicine and how do we get more efficient with how we deliver medical care to people at home? And when you consider the size of the medical industry, relative to the fitness market, you know, I think we're the beneficiary of a lot of technology that that really is being developed on the medical side that potentially can be used in the fitness market. So I'm I'm pretty excited. You know, when I think five years out, the things that we're going to be able to do, combining content and technology for someone at home, and not that it'll ever replace, and I don't think it's ever going to replace the camaraderie and the community and the sense of belonging that we feel when we go to a class or a gym, I think it's really more of a supplement. And, and if anything, it's going to expand the number of people that have access to fitness and at a very competent level, you know, not where you, you just buy a piece of equipment and you hop on and you run on a treadmill, but where you really do have, you know, someone guiding you to hopefully achieve better outcomes. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, Ursa, which we talked about before this interview, John, and my old employer, SFIA, you know, a big a big part of what they're focused on is growing the overall pie. So 
if you're physically fit or physically active, that's a win in itself, regardless if it's spinning, playing tackle football, lacrosse, whatever it might be, running has, has picked up in the pandemic, certainly. So I think it's all um, a good thing as long as the overall pie is growing, uh, to, to your point. And, and really, you know, one of the, not to keep plugging <laughs> former interviews, but Adam Zeitz, Seth, uh, former CEO of Golds, who was on this podcast before, uh, it's funny, we kind of bonded over the different terminology. He uses uh, uh, the term a hybrid model, whereas, you know, I think he's with a company called Intellivideo now, which is a digital streaming company. And I, I've been using the term for five years now called Omni Fitness, taken from my retail days of like, I, I can remember people used to think Amazon was the the killer uh, of, of, of small businesses. Maybe they still think that, but the, the point of it is, you know, you kind of have to be everywhere your customer is. And so whether that's in a Hilton hotel gym or, you know, a crunch fitness gym or at home. And so I totally, uh, concur on, you know, being everywhere omnipresent is, is a must have, especially as technology's pro- proliferated the industry, but, um, kind of, kind of two, two quick kind of closing questions for you, John. And, and one is top of mind and the reason we've connected and, uh, you know, arguably the, the company that I'm going to ask you about, which starts with a P and ends in a Peloton, Peloton, um, <laughs> has, uh, has been in the news with your company for, for, uh, I, I don't think this is new. I think this has been going on around the trademarks, uh, that your company filed in the early nineties around spinning and, and several others. You actually have a, uh, a really good explanation on your website, which I thought was super interesting and helpful. A lot of companies don't have that IP kind of uh, uh, tab in their website. So, um, you know, I know The Verge covered it recently and several other publications, but I'd just love to ask you kind of your just general position on spinning and arguably, ironically enough, you paved the way for Peloton to be successful today. Well, I, I certainly think that... Um... You know, when, when the, the the Peloton matter actually is, is relatively new, um, actually we, uh, as a company, uh, we've we've had patents, long-standing patents in the um, around connected fitness and bikes, and 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 it's something that we developed, like I said, with the first e-spinner that we launched in two thousand nine, and and really started developing uh, in two thousand five, and so we really. You know, got to a point where we felt that um, that that there were issues around um, patent infringement that uh, needed to be addressed, and so we we uh, initiated uh, a lawsuit in December of 2020. And the issue around the, the trademarks really um, was something that Peloton initiated. Uh, you know, I could guess, and I don't want to guess at this point, but um, perhaps in response to are filing uh, a patent infringement case, um, the, the the lawsuit to invalidate the spinning trademarks, and you know I think f- for me again personally it's a very personal thing because this is something that you know Johnny and I literally started and and could have really called anything. It wasn't you know when people think of spinning, I, I think that they you know they they will um, relate it to the bikes we create and the classes that they've taken at gyms with, with our instructors and looking down and seeing spinning on those bikes that they're riding. And, and so I think having, 
you know, created the spinning brand in the early '90s um, and continuously used it ever since. You know, we've we've not only used it on our products, but um, we've licensed the brand to companies like Nike. Uh, Johnny was always particularly um, uh, uh, a very healthy guy, and so when we were uh, early on, had opportunities to work with uh, some of the nutritional supplement companies. Uh, we ended up doing a, a licensing deal with Chiquita Banana because that was what we put in our back pockets when we went out and, and rode. And and so we've done a, a lot of different licensing deals with companies over the year. Precore has been our licensee. Uh, Schwinn was our original licensee after we decided to stop building bikes in the garage. Um, we, we partnered with Schwinn um, and worked with them for about seven years until they um, filed for bankruptcy. And we we uh, moved on, but yeah, the spinning trademarks have been around f- for a lot of years, and and we've promoted uh, the spinning brand both in the consumer market and in the commercial market. We make everything from bikes to apparel to accessories. So it is um, again a very personal thing for me, and I think a personal thing for the hundreds of thousands of instructors out there who really are the ones that built this this category that built the indoor cycling category and have supported our brand for so many years um you know they you know i think in a lot of ways you know i think deserve better i i you know i i think when you look at the indoor cycling category it is something that was created and i you know as much as i can say well johnny and i worked together to form the company and to do what we've done over the last 25 plus years you know, I, I can certainly say with 100% uh, certainty that that we could have never gotten to where we are today without the hundreds of thousands of instructors around the world who went out day in and day out, and they were the ones getting up at five in the morning to go teach that 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 class, and uh, the, really what they did to build our brand and to help us get um, our program out. Uh, you know, the really the, the credit lies with them. So it, it is, again, I think a little personally, um, I think frustrating that, that you know, again, in my opinion, that, you know, having filed to protect some intellectual property around patents would in turn, uh, if that is the case, um, spawn a trademark cancellation action. Uh, you know, I, I personally just feel it's a lot of bullying. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm sure they may feel differently about it, but, uh, you know, I think for me personally, it feels, uh, you know, a little bit of like a David and Goliath story. I mean, we, we've done what we've done for 25 plus years and, uh, uh, you know, I, again, I, I see what they've done and, and, you know, great, but, uh, you know, I think that there are certain rules of engagement that, uh, you know, as an industry, we just need to follow and, and, you know, sometimes, you know, th- those rules of engagement maybe aren't followed the way that I personally would like to see from a standpoint of of just integrity and 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 really, again, giving credit to to certainly not me um, or or Johnny, but really to the hundreds of thousands of instructors that have really made indoor cycling what it is today. Um, because I think the reason that there is such an awareness of indoor cycling in the home market um, is for all those people that over the years said, you know, 
I was never in as good a shape as I was when I was taking, you know, spinning indoor cycling classes at my local gym. And, you know, and I think a lot of that resonates and, and because there is that broad demographic of, of people, uh, you know, I think there, there is an opportunity today to, to, you know, bring, you know, indoor cycling into homes into a broad swath of the population, because again, it, it's not age specific. So I think we hit a very broad demographic and, you know, and it's just something that, again, we, we did as a labor of love and the fact that it created an entire category of fitness uh, today is something I'm, I'm very proud of. And I know Johnny is as well. Um, so, the, you know, I don't, I don't know how much more I can say other than that, but it, it's, uh, you know, it'll always be part of my life and part of my legacy and, and, you know, certainly part of our team and our team's legacy and all those people that, that really made it what it is today. Yeah, I know. Well, well said. And, uh, and I think if the roles were reversed, uh, you know, the, the, the Goliath would have the same argument. And, uh, it is interesting about, you know, I was, I'm not a patent attorney by any, any sense or a trademark attorney, but the whole, um, you know, relativity of genericness is what I'll call it of today. You know, I'm a millennial and I think spinning has just always been around, but I think, uh, the story that you're telling is super important for not only the fitness industry, but for future founders, current founders of companies around the importance of trademarks. And, um, we'll be rooting for you. And I will tell my girlfriend, we were just talking about canceling, uh, her at home fitness Peloton, uh, $9 a month program. So I'll tell her. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, again, I, I, I just love to see people working out and getting in shape. You know, I think one of the best and most rewarding things of, of being around the fitness market, uh, for so many years is that you really do see how fitness can help change people's lives. And, and it, it's, you know, it's something I think when you start looking at children and, and particularly today, and I think you know, some of the things that I have young kids and, and uh, a broad range of young kids, but uh, my oldest is 15 and I have 12, 11, two and a, a newborn. So uh, I've got a, a nice mix. But, you know, when you see kids so engaged in technology, um, it, it really makes me sad to think back to my childhood, which was really focused on getting up every day and riding my bike with my friends and riding my bike to school. And that was really my outlet. And, um, you know, so it's something that I, I just see that, uh, I, I would just love to see more people understand the importance of fitness, because I think as we all get older, uh, you know, we, we do want to live better lives and, and certainly by staying active, a much greater chance of doing that. And, and I think, you know, years ago, there were some stats that came out and I don't remember the study exactly, but I, I recall it being that if kids were active up through the time they turned 18, there was um, you know 30 to 40 percent likelihood that they would remain active in their adult lives. And if kids were inactive by the time they reached their 18th birthday, there was a high likelihood that they would remain inactive for the rest of their lives. And so, when you consider the health implications of of inactivity, um, it, it is concerning because there are so many ailments that that we potentially suffer that really can be cured through exercise and, and whether that's, you know, things like type two diabetes, uh, just generally losing weight, 
um, eating a little bit better. You know, so much can be really cured by fitness. So I'm a big proponent. You know, if anybody has something that they love to do, then just do it. And whether that's indoor cycling or running or rowing, you know, as long as you're staying active, that's what counts. And, you know, and I think, you know, again, just getting back to, you know, a little bit about our brand, you know, what we stand for as a company and, and why the spinning trademark is so important is we we do believe in what we do and we stand for something. And I think when we can, you know, for those people that have experienced our brand and experienced our classes, you know, they, they will tell you that, yeah, there, there's, there's really, you know, importance to a brand because it's a way that that consumers can differentiate, you know, our brand from those of, you know, the, those programs offered by our competitors and our brand is, is different. It, it really does stand for, um, you know, a type of training that's based in science, but also is based in fun. And, and so, you know, our brand personality is what it is. And, and I think that that's the, you know, I think the sad part about, you know, anybody trying to cancel somebody's brand is this is really what, you know, this, this is what we are. I mean, this is what we built over 30 years. So I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what good comes from that um, because it really is about, you know, consumers, I think getting the kinds of experiences and, and again, understanding the sources of those experiences where they can get an authentic experience that, um, you know, they may not get from, from other companies that are just simply copying something. No, I, absolutely, John. I think that's a perfect, per- perfectly said, and, you know, back to the growing the overall pie and, and, you know, you're in it for the right reasons clearly. And, and I think the brand authenticity and the, the community that, you know, you can't, you can't make up a community or you can't, you know, fake authenticity. And I think that always rings true at the end of the day for any brand in any industry actually. So, um, I, I congratulate you for the, the long journey it's been and we'll continue to root you on, uh, and, and continue to follow the story. I actually, I think I told Sarah this before we, we had this interview, I actually wasn't familiar with mad dog at all. And, uh, I was familiar with your trademark. So I'm glad to be able to put a, a name to the face to the brand and the story. And, and I'm sure our listeners uh, will appreciate hearing that story as well. So, so John, thank you so much for taking um, almost a full hour of your, of your day here to, uh, to speak with me. Well, John, I really enjoyed it. And, and again, anytime I, like I said, having done this for 25 years um, you know, there, there are a ton of stories. And like I said, the, the, the amazing thing is just really, again, just having had those experiences um seeing people enjoy something, I think as any founder, you know, it's probably the greatest reward, you know, more than any other aspect is, is really, you know, having something that people truly do appreciate. And um, yeah, and it, and it is funny because yeah, we, we have a, a good number of instructors around the world that have actual spinning tattoos and, and uh, you know, and, it, and it's one of those things where, you know, I'm not suggesting that people go tattoo our brand on their bodies, but, you know, I think, Anytime you can create something that, you know, is, is meaningful and, and, and helps people in, in any way, whatever that is, 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 like I said, probably the greatest reward that you can ever get. So I'm happy to be on your show. And again, I appreciate uh, the opportunity. And if there's ever anything uh, I can do to answer any questions, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always here 
uh, you know, I'm, I'm available. If any of your listeners want to uh, reach out, you know, I, I'm, I'm always here and, and willing to interact and chat. So. Yeah. Yeah. It might, I might take you up on that. You might regret it, but uh, to be continued. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John, I appreciate it. Yeah. No, th- thank you, John. Um, I appreciate uh, the story and, and even your, your name and, and your co-founder's name. Great, great names. I, I wish I could have been a part of the trio in the, in the early nineties there. Yeah, um, the, the, the three Johns. Yeah. It's uh... <laughs> yeah. three amigos. Yeah, All right, exactly. John, take care, appreciate man. Thanks for All the right. time. Take care. Thank you to our guests and sponsors. Without them, there would be no Sport Lifestyle Network. If you're listening via Apple Podcast or Spotify, be sure to rate us and subscribe. For more podcasts and to sign up for the newsletter, go to sportlifestylenetwork.com. Again, sportlifestylenetwork.com. Until next time, play hard or at least look good doing it.